Hey everybody, welcome back to Playing Catch Up. It's just me, Brian, right now. So uh, we have a special episode for you this week. No discussion of the news, headlines, no quick takes, no bozo. We'll be back to that regular stuff next week. But this week, we have a very special episode. Um, Davis Donovan, who's a professor of mine at Sacred Heart University, but he's also um, a journalist for WSHU Public Radio in Connecticut. He was kind enough to come on the podcast and discuss with us uh, news media, Disinformation, uh, state of journalism right now in the United States, a whole bunch of other fun little things. I'll center around that Fox News thing where they made up that whole beef story that wasn't true. Uh, the whole conversation is centered around that, but we go in a lot of different cool places. Um, so thank you for joining us, uh, and here is that interview. Clap for that, you stupid bastard. Who's going to win it? The Celtics. I'll kidnap a thousand children before I let this company die. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was funny. 1-800-CALL-JOE. The Playing Catch-Up Podcast. Please clap. All right, everyone. So uh, for our main segment today, we have a special, special guest. Uh, joining us today is Professor Davis Donovan. He's a reporter at WSHU Public Radio in Connecticut and host of the off the Path podcast with WSU. He's a graduate of the University of Missouri, and he's also a professor at Sacred Heart University, where yours truly attends his history of broadcasting class. It's a great time. You ever find yourself down there in Fairfield slash Bridgeport? I take it. Uh, welcome to the show. How you doing? Well, thanks, thanks for coming for on. Me. This is our this is our first venture into the big time NPR. Oh, it's, we're in the big leagues now. This, the streams going are going to start soaring. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Right. Yeah, Our man, ad it's, revenue. It's, it's going to be huge. Instant celebrities. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be like that guy who's recorded all of those things about um, about random towns. Oh, yeah, Matt Farley. Yeah, that guy's my hero. Boom. Yeah, we'll talk about, maybe, maybe we'll talk about him at the end of the show. I can that talk was about great, him the whole time, but you just let story. me know. <laughs> all right, so before we begin our discussion on, um, we're going to be talking about news media and disinformation and all that great wonderful stuff but before we get begin that discussion i just wanted to figure out what what made you want to pursue a career in journalism oh geez uh what made me want to i mean so i have a bunch of different answers for that because there's not really one easy answer i'll give you one uh i wanted to be a writer and i i mm-hmm. wanted to originally when i was a kid i my idol my i idolized stephen king when i was a kid uh, and oh, there's a Mainer. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, go. you know, you know, I went up, I saw his house in Maine. I think I saw him, but oh, uh, nice. might have just been some other old guy. Uh, but right. uh, no, um, I idolized Stephen King and I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write like fantasy and horror and, and genre stuff. That was my dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm also a realistic human being. And, you know, that's that's like dreaming of being an NBA star. It's like, you know, like that would be fantastic. <laughs> but realistically, you want a backup plan. And. So I, yeah. I, I thought, you know, journalism is something where you can be a storyteller. I, I, I do think of myself as like a born storyteller. You can be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can write and, and you can do that. Uh, and people will actually pay you to do it on a regular basis. So that's that's one Great. reason. But I, I have a lot of I'm interested in media. Um, there, there's a lot of things that kind of pushed me in this direction. And you also have that, that Mark Twain connection because, you know, you started in Missouri. Yeah. And then you Matt moved Farley to Connecticut. That just song. like. He calls me the Mark yeah. Twain of our generation. Uh, yeah, I started in Missouri <laughs> and I ended up in Connecticut, uh, just like Mark Twain. In fact, I, when I first moved to Connecticut, I lived across the street from Mark Twain's house. 
Wow. Really? Yeah, in Reading. Nice. That's destiny right there. It really is. I also Man. lived down the street. There's an Off the Path episode about this. I lived down the street from the vacant lot that inspired Stephen King's It, because Stephen King lived in Stratford, Connecticut for a few years when he was growing up. And on the same street, I ended up living on the same street where he would play when he was a kid in this vacant lot. And that's what inspired wow. the vacant lot. Wow. There's a lot of lit- wow. literary connections in Connecticut. Yeah, it's serendipitous, really. All right, so having you on the show today was sort of spurred by this um, recent Fox News snafu that happened. I assume many of those of lis- uh, listening have seen this or have seen me posting about it on Instagram, but for those who haven't, a graphic appeared originally on the Fox and Friends morning show that said, and here's the whole quote of it, um, up in your grill, Biden's climate requirements, cut 90% of red meat from your diet, max four pounds each year of beef, and one burger per month. And at the bottom of the graphic, it said University of Michigan Department of Agriculture. So in actuality, as you may assume, this is false. And it's not even really based in fact at all. Uh, These suggestions came from a January 2020 study at the University of Michigan that sought to find ways in which Americans could change their diets to curb CO2 emissions. The Biden climate plan, which actually doesn't exist in any form, the president has not announced any policies yet, does not include this as a proposal. So... Fox News has now apologized for this and admitted they were lying, but in many ways the damage is already done. The graphic appeared on multiple other Fox News programs. Many people on Twitter were posting images of giant pieces of beef as a sort of protest, and many red state governors, including uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, shared the image and tweeted about it. So how is it that Fox News and others within the conservative media ecosystem continually get away with this level of disinformation and also what was your first reaction to hearing about this story i mean i think the surprising thing is that fox news apologized for it that 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 is not Mm -hmm. something i've seen a lot um but like you said i mean the damage is done when everybody uh, i think lauren bobert was the first person that i saw that was tweeting it uh as you said greg abbott donald trump jr tweeted tweeted like i'm gonna go eat like 20 pounds of beef right now which is terrible (laughs) donald trump jr impression but you know what i mean uh uh, yeah uh so uh, this isn't the first time this has happened uh it's especially even with fox news i mean this isn't the first time this has happened and if you look if you follow like the provenance of this story it starts with mm-hmm. the Daily Mail, which is another, obviously, another Murdoch, um, another Murdoch Entity. property. Yeah, and uh, they're, I mean, infamous. I think for for this kind of thing. Um, yeah, I. Uh, we've seen this happen so much now that you can almost mm-hmm. trace how it's going to play out. There's a formula for it, and it's it's it, it always involves aggregation. Right. Like the aggregation here is from the Daily Mail to the Fox from the Fox News to Fox News. It's it's like a game of telephone, you know, and and that's Mm -hmm. that's essentially what an aggregation is. Uh, And like telephones, something always gets turned around and goes wild until you're at the end. And it's like purple monkey dishwasher, you know. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. um, To make a Simpsons (laughs) reference there. But uh, I I mean, when you look at the origin of it, which came from this University of Michigan, scholarly article i'm gonna say that not only is this not the first time something like this has happened much more much less controversial and more boring news outlets than fox news make this mistake the yeah you know i i've seen this from uh i i do a lot of science journalism right so i talk to a lot of scientists and anytime i've talked to a scientist who's been interviewed for anything before 
they always say kind of the same thing. They're always very, very worried that I'm going to not reduce everything to a headline. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't blame them because, you know, I, I, I can think of a thousand examples off the top of my head. You know, anything from like uh, uh, the Yellowstone caldera has a one in 630,000 chance of exploding in the next 3,000 years to, you know, <laughs> to like, oh, Yellowstone's going to explode right. tomorrow. Run for your lives. You know, stuff like that. Um <laughs> With uh, uh, so th- another example that that fuels this kind of like um, paranoia is uh, the COVID vaccine, right? Yeah. yeah. So we know mm-hmm. it's never it's been an, never been a secret. It's been we know that there is this uh, thing called uh, uh, vaccine breakthrough, right, or virus breakthrough, where yeah, you can get vaccinated and you still have like a five percent chance to get COVID, like. We know that the yeah. vaccine is 95% effective. Do the math. And yet people see these cases, people see the cases getting through and they freak out and they're like, you know, oh, the vaccine's not working. Like, yeah, it's working actually more than 95% of the time. So, I, you know, all science, I, science journalism is a really fine art and most people are really terrible at it. So it's mm-hmm. not a surprise to me that the Daily Mail, which is like a drunk clown wandering into a china shop, you know, <laughs> messed this up. You know, not at all a surprise. A, a drunk British clown. A drunk British clown. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it's not a surprise that they messed this up. And then you aggregate it. I mean, mm. it's you can follow that formula perfectly. I think that the most right. alarming piece of this, though, is that it's not like Biden said he might be, you know, change, uh, suggesting things about changes to diet. It was pretty much a whole cloth invention. Like this was getting, this was put out by the University of Michigan, but it was never at any point connected to the U.S. government. Maybe the study was funded by the Department of Agriculture or something, who knows, but it was completely invented and it's not really like a spin or anything, which I think that um, is, is, is strange. Yeah, um, no, it, it was just this random study. I don't believe it was funded by the USDA. I mean, I, I you know, I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. But uh, Biden didn't say anything to indicate this. They basically went to another party, to a third party, uh, that said, well, here's what it would take to meet this climate goal if this ever happened. And it was this one researchers, you know, or these two researchers, rather, you know, uh, conclusions on this. From I think it yeah. was it wasn't even published when Biden was president. I mean, you know, and and then they just sort of shove that together randomly with um, with Biden. And then it's Biden's going to take your burgers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I guess uh, what, what can we really say or what does this tell us about like a, a so-called news network that this kind of disinformation is allowed to pass through multiple stages of, of editors um, and other fact checkers we hope and assume and then appear on multiple programs which should have their own fact checking and editorial teams um i guess what does that tell us about how this uh media apparatus is working well, two things there one it's very optimistic to assume there were teams of fact checkers um, mm-hmm. i mean seriously right, yeah. uh when journalism started downsizing as an industry like 10 15 years ago they were the first thing to go you know, fa- the, yeah. it, and it used to be like I remember watching this. There's this like great journalism movie called Shattered Glass, and it's about this guy who uh, forged all his articles, right? And mm-hmm. they they say mm-hmm. like in this, we have three teams of fact checkers in three separate offices, and like 
that's insane to me now. Nobody has three teams <laughs> of fact checkers. That's wild. Um, but right. yeah, so and the other thing to remember is this about Fox News specifically. Um, and I'm just being realistic here. I know Fox News is ridiculous. I, 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 I will say this. There are two different elements of Fox News. There is the uh, editorial and news. There is the news department. And then there's mm-hmm. the Tucker Carlson right. department, you know, and those are not actually entities that have a lot to do with each other um, in terms of editorial. So uh, I, I I don't know what they have for fact checking in their news department. I will say that their their news department is, isn't bad They're They've yeah. done they've done a lot of yeah. uh, really good work. Uh, if you recall, during the 2020 election, Fox News was the first news outlet to call Arizona for Joe Biden. And that's because and that was shocking. Yeah. And and it wasn't just a good guess. They actually had a really solid um, team of people in place. And that was from their news department uh, to make those evaluations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're not bad. Um, I don't know. I don't think the red meat thing went through that. That's what I'm saying. Everything right. I've yeah. seen, and right. maybe I'm missing yeah. something, but everything I've seen is stuff that pundits pulled up. You know, it's it's uh, like, mm-hmm. what's a guy? Wa- I don't know who this dude is. Waters World. I mean, like, I don't yeah, know. Jesse Waters. I don't know. I don't want, I'm not going to lie. I don't watch Fox News. Uh, so I don't know <laughs> their pundits beside from, no. aside no. from Tucker Carlson and like Sean Hannity. I know the famous ones. But uh, yeah, I mean, the pundits don't go through that process. We know the pundits don't go through that process because they. This is not the first time they made this mistake. Mm. Uh, I noticed that I've noticed that same thing. Like if you go to foxnews.com, like their actual the website, which should be first reporting, it actually is quite different and is mostly fact based, even if parts are editorialized. But I wonder, based off that knowledge, is it possible to extract like any? rationale fr- from these pundits and and their team like is is it done because it's financially advantageous would we say is it advantageous to intentionally fabricate disinformation maybe for ratings or to generate outrage I mean, yeah something like that that's and and you don't have, just have to look at tv i mean social media does the same yeah. thing you know i mean yeah uh misinformation and disinformation and and like the difference between misinformation and disinformation is kind of academic, but I do want to make the point that yeah. disinformation is, yeah. is intentional. Um, yes. Hey, how, how is your yes. podcast on profanity? We're good. We, we're, we're good with profanity. Okay. So uh, there's a, a philosopher named Harry Frankfurt, and he wrote this really fantastic book called on bullshit. And I actually mm-hmm. use it in my class a lot, but he talks about the difference between lies and bullshit. And he says, a lie actually shows a kind of a respect for the truth because when you're lying, you, you know what the truth is, and you intentionally want to kind of steer people away from the truth. But when a bullshit artist, somebody who is bullshitting you, uh, doesn't care, what they're saying could very well be true. They don't care. They're serving an al- alternative purpose. And pundits are professional bullshit artists. And I don't just mean Fox News pundits. I mean most pundits, all right. pundits. It's part of right. what they do. They're professional bullshit artists. They're, they're using... They're using like pro wrestling techniques or carnival barking techniques. You know, they're hawking something, but what they're hawking isn't a product; it's an ideology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, go ahead. I know, I, I know that you have a, a a special. I don't know. I don't know if you would label it special, but um, you have a connection to the you know Sandy Hook um, shooting that happened because you were a reporter in Connecticut at the time. I was, and, a, I was um, a reporter in Newtown at the time. 
Yeah. Um, so a lot of, you know, people have gone after um, Fox News for spreading um, these, you know, sorts of lies and allowing, you know, people like Alex Jones to come on, um, it, specifically Newtown conspiracies and allowing that sort of stuff to happen. And a lot of that, you know, centers out of this um, commentator versus, you know, reporter sort of thing where Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, they have a larger place now than like um, Chris Wallace does on Fox News, who I think Fox News Sunday is a pretty good program. Um, so speaking generally about the shift from reporting to commentating, um, do you think there will be a large lasting impact from you know, the shift from the Cronkites, the Murrows, the, you know, Dan Rathers to Hannity, Rachel Maddow, um, Tucker Carlson, would this have a, a, an impact on, on the media or even the world? It already um, has. Now that we have this, yeah. It already has. It already has, and it has for many, many years. I will say one thing about Alex Jones, though. I, I don't know, and maybe I'm missing something here. Again, I try not to watch a guy if I don't have to, but uh, I don't mm -hmm. know that Fox News has given him more of a platform than um mm -hmm. uh than other networks i i wouldn't be surprised but i don't know that for sure so i can't comment on <laughs> that necessarily um yeah jones is an extreme example i mean look in one of my fa you know i almost said when we started and you asked me what made me get into journalism there's another answer i often give which is when i was very young too young i was like 10 i saw the movie network and that's mm -hmm. like I, I think mm -hmm. it was my favorite movie of all time. And if you've seen Network and everybody should see Network, if you're going to get into journalism, yeah. look at the change yeah. that Howard Beale goes through when that show. Be, mm -hmm. And this is 1976, by the way. This is before 24 hour news networks by 10 years minimum, 15 years, really, before 24 hour news networks. We're only talking about the nightly news. This is Walter Cronkite era and Peter Jennings and, and Barbara Walters era. I mean, nobody yeah. was acting like Howard Beale in 1976 on the air but i i you could put howard beale and and you should what you should 100 do is edit in some howard beale right now and like i'm as mad as hell and i'm not gonna take this that's more bernie sanders but you know what i'm saying <laughs> oh like, yeah um right, yeah. yeah so you right, should work yeah. in some howard beale here but like nobody was <laughs> acting like that then 1976 that was still the era of the trusted news anchor walter cronkite right the most trusted man in america um, yeah. and now, I mean, you could put Howard Beale side by side with Al anybody from Alex Jones, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson. You could put Howard Beale right next to those people and they act like he does, you know, they wave mm -hmm. their arms around and they scream, mm -hmm. but they, I would say even Howard Beale at least has good points sometimes in that movie. But I mean, they borrow the, you know, I'm going to get your attention. You know, <laughs> they, they borrow that thing yeah. from him and that's already, I mean, yeah, I don't think the president who was before the one we have now, I don't think we would have had him if we hadn't turned politics into entertainment and even like into pro wrestling, you know, and, and into mm -hmm. like this kind of specific kind of aggressive and toxic entertainment uh, that started with um, with the pundits. Um, do you think it's right to equate networks people often do this sort of thing where they say you know um msnbc cnn fox they're all horrible um and they all commit you know contribute to polarization um msnbc and cnn they definitely have a, a liberal slant but um would it be is it a fair comparison to make between those networks that 
I think most people would argue they do a pretty good job of reporting facts to, to, to Fox News. Are they, you know, in a league of their own, so to speak, um, within the news media? I don't think it's one to one. I mean, I think it's it's a comparison that is not going that is going to have some contrast within it. I think mm-hmm. the 24 hour news network model and I also don't watch CNN. You know, I also don't watch MSNBC um, because I don't like the 24 hour news network model. I think it's got some inherent kind of flaws in the medium. Uh, but I I think there's a difference in how, um, you know, Anderson Cooper, uh, I, I think there's a difference in his comportment uh, yeah. than anything that I've seen on Fox News. And maybe I haven't seen the guy on Fox News who's the Anderson Cooper, you know, person. But um, I think there are problems with Fox. I Again, like if I say I think CNN and, Fo- and MSNBC are doing things maybe uh, – if, if I say that Fox News is doing some things that are so bad that, and CNN and MSNBC aren't doing those things, I I don't want to let CNN and MSNBC off the hook. You know, I, I will yeah. say I think I haven't seen anything from them as bad as what I've seen from Tucker Carlson and other pundits at Fox News that I think are really, really harmful. I think when Tucker Carlson told people to call the cops on parents who put masks on their kids – I haven't right. seen anything that bad right. on CNN or MSNBC, but that doesn't mean I want to let them off the hook. Um, yeah. You know, I think they have had mm-hmm. plenty of misinformation over the years. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I, I show clips in, in, in my class. You know, we watch times when CNN has, there's that famous case when CNN did a, a story on a, a, a rape case and they are very open. Uh, like they're, they're making you feel, it's a Steubenville rape case and you can look this up and the reporter is Poppy Harlow and it makes, she's trying to make you feel sympathy for the rapists. You know, she's saying these poor guys were star football players and they had all their lives before them. And you're just watching like, are you seriously like trying to tell, like, like build sympathy at this point. And I think that's some, that's a problem that 24 hour news networks have. That's kind of cooked into the way that they do stories. So I don't want to let them off the hook. But no, they're you, not as far deep right. into the pit as the Tucker Carlson side of Fox News. Is is the the issue with twenty four hours news networks? And we talked about this in class, and I think John Stewart talks about this a lot. Is that when you're watching CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, um, they're designed for nine eleven. Like those work. Those like are are those work a hundred percent when there's a national tragedy and they can do. 24 hours a day but when it's not 9-11 um they have to sort of make you feel like it's 9-11 they have to amp up you know this exaggeration um that's very well put by the way yeah exactly exactly how could you how could you Mm. remove that from from the fabric of 24-hour news networks would you just say like you know run eight hours of news and then do like 16 hours of I don't know. Everybody loves Raymond. Do you want to, let's, let's yeah. have like a, a sitcom block or something. <laughs> like how, how would you, it's like, it's like putting toothpaste back in the tube, but how do you, how would you restructure 24 hour news networks to get rid of that outrage piece of it? Or is it even possible? Uh, well, yeah. yeah, it is putting toothpaste back in the tube. 
here's the thing they make a lot of money doing what they do um and they're no business of that size is going to walk away from a model that makes them that much money and is that successful it would be like marvel suddenly starts making like you know black and white like uh french movies you know like uh, <laughs> like you no know, they're not going to do that you know they're not going to shift it although i don't know they had uh right. the, the chloe Zhao is directing a marvel movie so i don't know maybe they will but uh um but yeah they're not going to turn away from a model that's been su- proven successful over 20 years um but is there an alternative yeah mm-hmm. there is and um i if you're in my class it sounds like a bl- broken record and you could probably almost predict what i'm going to say but look at what pbs does Look at a PBS mm-hmm. programming block. Is it all news? No, sometimes it's Sesame Street, man. You know? No, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's sometimes right. it's it's not news. Uh, but neither is what CNN is doing. I mean, yeah. and uh, and sometimes also it's frontline. Sometimes it's a documentary yeah. and there's there's a movement in journalism it's 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 a little trendy hashtaggy, but I actually kind of like it. Um you, like slow food or stuff like that, right? There's like slow news. So there's the, yeah. idea, the idea of like a slow news movement where you back away from that like constant ticker. And by the way, you mentioned 9-11 and it's always worth mentioning the ticker that you see on the bottoms of screens came out of 9-11. They started doing yeah. that and they never stopped. They've always been in breaking news yeah. And, yeah. and those big flashing red yeah. things. For 20 years, we've been just constant 9-11. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> There is such a thing, though, as slow news. And if you look at a Frontline documentary, I mean, Frontline could spend months or years very meticulously working on telling this story to help you understand something that's going on somewhere else in the world. It might not be, hey, here's the thing that's going on right now today. You need to pay attention right now. You know, it's not that. (laughs) Yeah, and that reminds me. me. It, It seems like the... You know, jur- journalistic documentaries um, and investigative documentaries have always been a part of the documentary scene, but it seems like the idea of, like, uh, more long-form documentaries like that, especially on streaming platforms like Netflix and elsewhere, um, or even, like, CNN starts publishing things like that on streaming networks, is seems to be entering, like, a mainstream, becoming a more popular form of, of media for most people. Um so that's interesting too and i i wonder on a more personal note uh is it ever frustrating as someone who works for npr who tends to pride themselves i suppose on more fact-based reporting in a way uh when they do just do breaking news or when they are focusing on main stories um to see uh fox but also these other 24 7 news agencies get away with this as we started but also you know have the the agency or the liberty to just apologize and then be able to to move right on that's a good question um, I'll say when I got into this, I already felt this way. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been working as a reporter for, uh, a professional full-time reporter for about 10 years, give or take. Um, mm-hmm. and I felt this way when I went to grad school for this already. And it actually was one of the motivating, like I said, I mean, network is, you know, like things like that motivated me to get into this field. I believe in good media. I, I once us to have more thoughtful more informative edward r murrow kind of stuff you know uh mm-hmm. so i i'm mm-hmm. not i guess it would only bum me out if it hadn't been like that when i started but i think it i think it has been what bums me out more is i worry i don't want it to get 
worse. And it has, you know. But um, I don't want to see uh, outlets, and I'm not going to name names on this point, but I don't want to see outlets that I respect fall into this. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's, there's, it's not just the 24-hour news networks. There's this second generation that came up about five or ten years ago uh, of, you know, like BuzzFeed and Vice and, and stuff like that uh, that use those same tactics, honestly, as the 24-hour news networks do. Although I will say that, you know, sometimes they do have good reporting, but sometimes so does CNN. Um, and I, I think now we're going into like the third generation of that. And I don't know what that's going to look like yet. Uh, but I, I don't want to see it become the whole industry. As long as there is an alternative and that is thoughtful news that is not baiting you and is, is not like just poking you to get a reaction from you. As long as that alternative exists, I'm always going to fight for that alternative. Um, switching to, I guess more, things of how we can resolve this disinformation um do you think the fcc should institute rules to combat disinformation and polarization in the media like for example um reinstating the fairness doctrine maybe eliminating section uh, 230 for social media or even uh, i had this thought the other day like requiring nutritional facts of sorts on media that would distinguish reporting from commentary like the way, you know, when you buy Lucky Charms, you know it's not an apple. But there's no way to, you know, differentiate that, um, you know, to figure out, am I watching, you know, something that's going to tell me the truth? Or is this guy going to um, bullshit me the whole time? Um, do you think that the government should play a role in that? And do you think that those sorts of things would work? Um, well, that's a really good question, too. I mean, some of them could. Uh, I, the f people have been talking about bringing back the fairness doctrine lately. I don't honestly know <laughs> where that started, but I'm kind of open to it. I mean, I don't want to take a stand because if I take a stand on the fairness doctrine, I'm taking a stand on politics in a sense. Uh, it is an issue that has a political, definitely is on the partisan scale. Right. And I <laughs> try to not. I'm not, I don't want to do that, you know? So I'm not going to yeah. say, yeah, bring back the fairness doctrine. Or, no, I hate the fairness doctrine. Um, but should, should FCC, should the FCC be updating? <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. And not just, not just for 24 hour news networks. Um, but we can't treat social media, you know, we, we can't treat information on Twitter the same way we were treating information before. So, uh, yeah, yeah. we should update. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get, like, specific on what that should be, but yeah. Yeah. Do you think, like, the way that, you know, um, TV, you know, works now is you have some things are TVMA, some things are TV14, or then I think there's, like, TVPG or something like that. Um, maybe you have, like, somebody, you know, on Fox is like, all right, we have now switched to commentary for the <laughs> night. Um, <laughs> if you were, like, fact-based reporting, uh you know watch what we did on our youtube channel or something like that or like right like the transition from nick right, to nick right. at night yeah, 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 yeah. or cartoon network like George we're gonna Lopez be crazy and say on. the f word and have real surreal stuff now yeah <laughs> it's like the cartoon oh, right. network we're, we're doing cooks. yeah yeah um yes uh yeah uh, uh well i would like to think it'll work and i'll tell you two reasons i don't think it'll work hold on okay. i'm getting a little bit of mic mm -hmm issues there we go 
I'll tell you two reasons I don't think it would work, and one has to do with ratings, and the other has to do with politics. Um, okay. Having to do with ratings, I remember the first R-rated movie I ever went to see. And if I see something, I, I'll tell you honestly, still to this day, if I see something with an MA rating on TV, I'm like, oh, cool. I wonder what this is going to be, you know? I mean, like, <laughs> and I think a lot of people do. I don't think ratings have the intended effect that we like to think they do. I think most... But if it, but if it was, this guy is about to lie, <laughs> do yeah, you think but... people would have that, like, ooh, you know, I love being lied to? You remember in the 2016 election when... Hillary Clinton said deplorables and all the people on the right were like, yeah, I'm a deplorable. And and they like adopt <laughs> that term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you tell them, and this is the same thing with like Snopes, you have the same problem with like Snopes.com, right? Snopes tries to fact check. And what happens is it on the right, the people who are getting fact checked, well, I, I shouldn't, I mean, not on the left too, honestly, but the people who are lying uh, will say, oh, Snopes is lying. Or like we wear it as a badge <laughs> of pride when Snopes says we're lying. And yeah. I think they would. I right. mean, I think that if Fox News didn't explicitly do it, which they might, because I don't think anybody really reigns in Tucker Carlson. But uh, mm-hmm. if I, I, Tucker Carlson could, could 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 just come out and very easily say to his listeners who already love him and trust him, he could say, you see that up there? You see that? That's that's a muzzle. That's cancel culture <laughs> that was put on me by the guy. I mean, he's got a million <laughs> things he can say, right? He's got a whole toolbox he can dig into right. to explain why he is being why this this label has appeared. So I would like to think it would work, but they adapt very quickly. On, on YouTube, they have things for, like, for the, I don't know if you know, RT. It's like the, it's like PBS, but Russian. So they say, like, that's a very, know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, RT is owned by the Russian, uh, is Russian state media. And for BBC, even, they say, this is British public broadcast service. Um, like, could something like that work where it's like, this is uh, analysis, this is commentary? I mean, you know, there must be some reasonable way in which Fox News could be like, okay, yes, we're okay with you labeling this opinion. This is okay if you're labeling this analysis. I mean, maybe not like somebody comes out and is like, Tucker's about to lie. Right. Turn this off if you don't want any more lies. But there's got to be something agreeable that we could f- find. The one problem is Fox News is a cable network. They're yeah. not they don't use the public broad bro, public airwaves. So it's very hard to regulate a cable network. It's very easy to regulate, you know, uh, um, ABC, NBC, CBS. It's very easy to reg- regulate the Fox network. Uh, yeah. But the FCC has a lot less power over cable because they're not using the public airwaves, you know. It's like you rent your house from somebody, your landlord can tell you what to do, but if you own your house, it's a lot harder, you know, to 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 you know uh tell somebody who owns their house what to do so um it would be very hard to to get some it would take a huge fight to get something like that and even by the time it made it even by the the time you first see that that warning label pop up tucker carlson has already probably been talking about it for a month and he's already told his audience this, the, you know, the Biden administration is going to muzzle me and is going to put this thing on and you're going to see it appear and you need to write your letters to the FCC or whatever they do. I don't know if they write letters, you know, tweet profanity at them or whatever, you know, you know, call the cops if you see their kids out or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. Tucker Carlson 
you know, th- they will have plenty of time to react to something like that. I think, I, I mean, I think, I think your heart's in the right place there. And I'm, I'm somebody who like, generally I am open to, let's have a discussion about what kind of regulation can, can we have? Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I, I like to ask like, well, do movie ratings work? If they don't, what do we do? You know, how do we like, I, I'm not an anarchist, you know, I don't want like, yeah. I don't just want a right. free for all everything all the time. Um, I don't know how you're going to get that label and just realistically, pragmatically with the, the power that Fox News has. I don't know how you would put a label like that in place. Yeah, I would like to, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ever, do you want to ask your question about television ratings? Oh, sure. I didn't think this was going to be okay. me. Uh, so one one point which we were thinking about was that television ratings for cable news networks have widely decreased since Trump left office. We kind of touched on this idea earlier um, to varying levels on differing networks. Uh, from the Wall Street Journal, uh, Fox News ratings dropped by 32%, CNN by 16 and MSNBC by 7.8%. Uh, what difference, if any, have you seen in the news media, whether it be the style of reporting, interest from the public, maybe, or other sources, um, for the news media at large or on your network? Um, just like it seems as though following, you know, as we, as you said, it was like this golden age of reporting, maybe not for quality, but at least for the amount of attention it was getting. Um, and it's changing a lot now. And we were wondering what you thought about that. So are we still going to be in this, you know, golden age? I mean... I don't I kind of feel like any uh any money that we made while uh off of off of Trump, you know, off of the attention that Trump got is kind of blood money. It's not like we I don't think we were in a golden age of reporting. Uh you know, I mm-hmm. I'm I think there was some excellent reporting that a lot of people did on Trump. You know, I think Maggie Haberman at the New York right. Times, for example, and that's not broadcast, but Maggie Haberman at the New York Times did some of the best reporting, you know, I've I've ever seen on a president while Trump was in office. Uh, but I don't think who's president and I don't think the things that they do should dictate our um, business choices, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we should keep doing and, and we should hold Biden's feet to the fire, too, you know? Uh, right. And, and, yeah. and anybody in power, we should hold their feet to the fire. Um, I think we're I mean, I, I from what I've seen, I think people are still doing that. You know, I don't know. I was uh, there was a little scandal. Uh, there was a scandal and there was a reporter and I want to say she was a Times reporter. Um, I don't remember. But uh, who got fired because she tweeted. So, Brian, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, she was like, um. I, I have chills or something yeah. when, when Biden landed in D.C. or something like that. Right. And people were like, do you have chills because you love democracy or do you have chills because you love liberalism? Well, look, <laughs> look yeah, Trump's out of office. But, uh, guys, it's been uh, less than four months since a bunch of his followers broke into the U.S. Capitol and smeared you know their names all over everything and uh yeah i don't think we're i don't think we're back to boring status quo yeah uh you know right um, and you know i would like i like not 
having to wake up in the middle of the night and see what the president tweeted. You know, I, I, I like that. Uh, just from a non-political perspective, I mean, completely non-politically, I like not worrying about, like, the president, like, launching a major news story today. Uh, that, is, that is comforting. That, yeah. is, that is comforting. I mean, just yes. for my own, my own, uh, my own, like, uh, well, well-being amount of sleep. Yeah, yeah, I like not having to worry about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and may maybe just because it could be said that... Um, Trump sort of had an ability at the beginning of the campaign and throughout his term to operate and and move this cult of outrage that it was easier for the so-called liberal media to to grab onto that and to get people focused on it. But is it even possible to or to reconcile the importance of free media as an objective point and then the nature of not only just 24-7 cable news channels, but also just um, the nature of these as businesses in the first place um, to favor generally bad or, or shocking news, this whole idea of 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 nine eleven as we brought up earlier. I mean, can can those ideas be reconciled at all or as a business model? Uh, as a business model? I mean, as a business model, I like nonprofits better than for-profit media. Yeah, um, you know, as a rule. And I think there's now fifty mm -hmm. years plus of seeing what how NPR and PBS, at least their philosophical approach to media, and I, I mean, I would say their 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 journalism is has always been top notch. And and but yeah. the, just in terms yeah. of the philosophy, I think it's we've seen it prove itself. You know, we've seen how nonprofits um, removed from corporate interests, uh, you know, have have compo comported themselves differently and sort of uh, been more willing to. Um, be boring, you know, or uh, yeah. or deliver yeah. or, or slow, you know, deliver slower news. Um, I am more worried about what's going to happen when uh, we have everybody alive has doesn't remember a time before the Internet, um, you know, and, and we're fully immersed in this uh this echo chamber and i'm worried if we don't regulate social media you know that that we're going to have not just the 24-hour news networks because yeah they're, they're yeah i i'm i'm all about talking about the 24-hour news networks but i also want to talk about all of the um online uh you know uh outrage right. bait uh rags that uh keep these constant uh, arguments uh, circulating for the tw so the 24-hour news networks can feed off of them you know and the daily yeah. mail is one of them yeah you know i mean they're they're not only online but i you know everybody reads them online here you know nobody's picking up the daily mail you know in in america and yet we a lot of people in america read the daily mail uh so how do we break this um this online beast of uh, we are profiting off of outrage on social media, misinformation on social media, and it's like, you know, we get it going, and then we can just keep it going, and it's always going to yeah. feed itself. Yeah, I'd say I agree certainly with um, about NPR, for example. Just it's it's at least a little bit comforting the sort of transparency transparency which NPR brings for example like when they report on something at Facebook for yeah. NPR news now they'll just say at the end of the bit like Facebook is a sponsor of NPR and then that's it 
um, but you have the acknowledgement at least of of where money's coming from and how that influences media. So yeah, Everett's trying to get a job on this um, podcast right now. <laughs> I no, I this just is his audition. I, I listen. He's to hoping be- that the bosses no. will <laughs> tune in. Well, man, I mean, it's <laughs> this is your show, Brian. You asked <laughs> me. I mean, it's a good time. I, 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 hey, you know, we need good reporters, man. I mean, like it's <laughs> like seriously, it's it's. NPR is a good place to be if you're going into media. I mean, start with NPR. I mean, but don't feel bad if you don't because like other, you know, it's it's great that public media does have these standards. But the more people at places like Fox News, I'm not saying you should go there, but you know what I mean. The more people at places like Fox News and CNN uh, who bring this um, eat your vegetables kind of mentality, uh, yeah. the they're at least going to have to have these discussions in their in their newsrooms, and that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a question about new media that now reading it um, seems like there will be an obvious answer. But um, do you find that new media, whether that's YouTube, podcasts, etc., are better or worse in terms of journalistic standards? And obviously... I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say. Well, I mean, maybe you don't. I don't know. I mean, if you, if you think I'm going to say yes, I would say maybe on average, then, then 24-hour news networks... Uh, on average, I listen to, I tell you, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I don't watch any 24 hour news networks. So you can probably see from that where I decide to to spend my attention. Uh, but I mean like Joe Rogan, I don't know, man. I mean, and that's like, you know, I don't know if Joe Rogan is where people need to be turning their attention. Um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to see on the, on the internet and whether that's YouTube or podcasts that anyone would find success with the Walter Cronkite, Edward R. Murrow model. Um, instead of you know the mm-hmm. sh- shrieking like a banshee and so maybe you thought i was going to say no then i yeah. mean maybe so you thought i was going to say no because like the new media you know yeah yeah yeah. i assumed you were going to say no <laughs> well and at least with youtube and podcasts i think the difference is for for the vast majority most viewers or at least the channels too start in the mindset that this is entertainment mm. um and then if if it's there's a very clear difference between like if you're going to listen to an NPR podcast maybe and then something like this, even where, you know, we're, we're having discussions like this. But the difference is we start from a different place and may, maybe that's where audiences are. Well, going you're having to. good discussions here. I'll say, I mean, these are yeah, this is this is these are good questions, by the way. Um, <laughs> I mean, like the medium <laughs> is the message, right? I mean, like what what do you what do you what do the people who make this? Like, like, how does how does the nature of YouTube as a medium or podcast as a medium shape the kind of content that is on these shows? I mean, like, so one thing we talk about in like behind the scenes as we're making podcasts is how long should a podcast be? Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, if a podcast is only five minutes and there's a lot of great podcasts that are only five minutes. I mean, my podcast is about seven or eight minutes, you know. Uh, But we also, it's not a conversation podcast, you know? Um, So there's a Mm -hmm. lot of uh, great short podcasts. Like, what can you, what kind of a story are you going to tell in that time? But if you're going to do like a two hour podcast, I mean, like, you know, you know, what's that going to look like? I mean, one of my favorite podcasts is, is this thing called Hardcore History and it comes out like literally twice a year. And it's like a three and a half hour podcast of one guy talking about historical, like a historical event. I mean, that is not the normal, that's not the normal business model for a podcast. Um, 
No. I, yeah. I, I, I so I think I, I hope people aren't limiting themselves in, in terms of what they're doing with, you know, new media. Because uh, it's really, there's a lot of potential to do just about anything you want with something like a podcast. It could be five minutes or four hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Everett and I have this theory about the media, and I want to run this by you. Because it's, okay. it's, it's, it's partly based in stuff that I've heard from you in, in the class. Um, uh, I, there's different ways, different labels for it. Some are more crude. But the, the general idea is, it's like the movie uh, The Human Centipede. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, okay. Brian came up with this. I don't know. No, about you signed my off on attached, this. You but... signed. This is all you. Um, okay. So fine. basically, a, a a real thing occurs in the world, and then at the first level, um, somebody you know reports on it. Like that's like nightly news. That's NPR. That's PBS. Um, like even before it's the Associated Press. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even before right? that. that AP is just sort of like here's exactly what happened with no, you know, um, analysis or, or anything, and then you have the second level, yeah, which um we we label as shit eaters, um <laughs> the people who eat the shit uh, of uh, the nightly news, and that's like MSNBC or or CNN, and then you go further down the line of um of shit eating, and you end up with um you know outlets like uh, the Young Turks or the Daily Wire which are basically just reacting to um, a reaction to a reaction to a story and not really talking about anything that's actually happened. Like, the way that these stories dilute is, like, something occurs, they talk about it, we talk about how we talk, how they talked about it, people talk about the people who talked about how they talked about it, and then, you know, circles and circles until something else happens. Um... How do you feel about this, the human centipede that is the media? Do you think this is an apt comparison? Well, uh, it's it's what I it's basically what I meant when I started and said it's like a game of telephone. But I, this one's much more vulgar, and I like yeah. that. So let's go with that. <laughs> it uh, certainly yeah. is. Um, yeah, I mean, the human centipede is that's maybe not a bad way to think of it. Although I look here's here's the problem with the analogy though is. You don't want to be the second person in the human centipede. Being the second person and being the tenth person are about equally as bad, like realistically speaking. Mm. You know, um, I it's I true. think you can go about two or three levels on this, and it's well maybe not. I, I mean, depends on the quality of the information. Depends on the quality of each level. But like, I think one layer of aggregation is okay and i say that as somebody yeah. who works with content from the ap all the time you mm-hmm. know but also i fact check that content and you know i make sure that the ap doesn't has everything right and we you know we go we we make sure we're reporting it accurately uh but mm-hmm. um so maybe maybe there's somebody out there who doesn't you know report from the ap ever and is like oh you shouldn't even you, all reporting should be original well, I don't necessarily yeah. think all reporting should be original, but yeah, you're right that you shouldn't go right. 10 layers. Once you go 10 layers, you are not working with anything that contains any nutrients anymore. You are down to yeah. pure waste at that point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yes. um, and, and then I think what you brought up in the class, and I think it was like a video or something about kayfabe and yeah, wrestling, yeah. that wrestling is fake. The people who are wrestling know it's fake. The people who have filmed the show know it's fake. But some, like, you could argue in media, people who are watching the media on a show like C- or, or, uh, 
a show like Rachel Maddow's or Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, they don't realize that what they're watching is fake. And um, in the shit-eating uh, <laughs> formula, we call this people who think it's like real food. People who are eating the shit, the waste of, um, of you know, CNN or Fox News, and they don't realize that um, it has gone through this layer of aggregation, this layer of analysis, of commentary, and people, you know, think that that's just basically news. Like, you know, I read Ben Shapiro or I, I listen to Tucker, Tucker Carlson and I think that that's, you know, correct. Yeah, I'd say it's worth noting that um, I don't think it helps necessarily to be accusatory to like, I don't know, viewers of, of media in the first place and to assume that just, no, I'm not <laughs> saying you're wrong, but it's worth distinguishing that it's more about who people put their trust into i i think um it's like it's you can even acknowledge that uh, a fox again i don't intend to generalize it all but if, if you choose to watch watch fox news and you're watching the nightly news there we have tucker carlson you're probably there for tucker carlson maybe because that's the the media figure that you trust i mean he's not the same who was it cronkite yeah. right the most trusted man in america like it's that's not the same but if it's if that's the media person then you, that you that somebody goes to, um, that it makes sense for them. It do, I don't think it's it's fair to say that comes from a place. It's it's not fair to say it comes from a place of ignorance and then not clarify. Because um, I just think yeah. So we had a bit of a technical glitch at this point in the episodes. So we had to restart recording. The conversation may seem to jump around a little bit uh, to a different place. That's because we lost some of the audio. Uh, I think we did a good job uh, getting it back on track, though. So here is the second half of the interview. Uh, so do you want me to pick up where I was? Yeah. Because I don't remember yeah. where okay. I was. Okay, I think you were just, you, you already said that John Oliver, you trust John Oliver. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think I trust John Oliver because I think he's well-researched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't. It's not because of his political opinions, but I mean, I trust him more than I would trust a comedian, right? Mm -hmm. But I also still realize he's an entertainer. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I think the difference there uh, that you kind of hit on is to say that, you know, um, uh, people seeing Tucker Carlson as the rawest form of news. Well, now we need to have a talk about like what, what news is. Yeah, I think you were just about so, to say that when, when you think. Yeah, um, so this gets to the... the um, the like the the truth or, or or not even what news is but what truth is mm -hmm. so if somebody is going to come and yell at you and be very impassioned uh and tell you that you know they have the truth well that's almost how like uh that's 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 a um what you would call like a um geez i'm blanking on the name of that false prophet or something like that I mean, to profit, yeah, it's it's how profits work, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, they're going to come out and they're going to uh, call a cult of personality. Yeah. Right? It's like a cult of personality. Like, you trust them because their personality is so intense. Mm -hmm. You know, well, right. I mean, like, I, I've known a lot of people with intense personalities, and it's not a sign of trust necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's not a sign of distrust, but, you know, it's, it's not a sign of trust necessarily to, to have an intense personality. So I don't know why we... Uh, I don't know why we think that's a good idea, but I, I think there's I think a little bit of, of of media literacy education can go a long long way there, and say like well 
well, the way, what are the ways that news gets at the truth? Well, we have a lot of different ways to try to do that. And one of them is to listen to people from different perspectives and to hear different backgrounds and kind of add those together. And we can get kind of a parallax kind of a view from a lot of different angles. One of them is to look at facts. One of them is to look at experience. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it's, it's never just to be very loud. That's never, you know, a way to necessarily get the truth. So when I say I trust John Oliver, what I mean is I think that he incorporates a lot of different perspectives and i think he has a good fact-checking team i think he news gathers well for somebody who's not Mm -hmm. a journalist and yeah and i think a big difference there i mean on john oliver for example uh you can tell not only because there's like a a funny image on the side but it's it's obvious when he's making a joke and then the transition when he looks at the camera and points his hand out when he's when he's truth-telling um but you know, it's it's factual the entire time, but the distinction the distinction between making a point and making a joke are very obvious. And I, and I feel like what what Brian was getting at with, you know, we keep talking about Tucker Carlson, but the example there is that there there is no, the the line is completely blurred, and there's no recognition for the audience from the commentator that um there might be a distinction between his commentary and his initial introduction of a situation. Mm-hmm. Everything is narrativized, um, and there's no... It's just... First, it might not, not be a good comparison because they're different formats. Yeah. But in terms of what a presenter is bringing to their audience, um, there's there's no distinction um, I, I think in that, the kind of media we're criticizing. I think that, that the John Oliver, John Stewart themselves, they don't think of themselves as you know someone who's on the level of... They don't think of themselves as you know newsmen... Um, no, yeah, they don't. Because John Stewart, back in the day, I think this was like right after um, Tim Russert passed away and left Meet the Press, that mm-hmm. NBC called him up and said, "Hey, could you host Meet the Press? Would you want to do that?" And he was like, "You don't understand me. This, I'm not that. You know, I might interrogate people once in a while, but and, and I think that the Fox News people would always trip themselves up when they went after John Stewart and they went used to go after him a lot." Um, like saying, you know, are you a comedian or are you, um, are, are you a newsman? And like, we're trying to get people to like only see him as a comedian. And, um, like, cause he appeared on Crossfire or something. Yeah. i um, well that, that famous moment when he was on Crossfire and he killed the show Crossfire. Yeah. I mean, in that, then Tucker Carlson's in that. Yeah. I mean, like he's there for that like, discussion. Tucker's like, can you tell some jokes, John? I thought you were going to be funny yeah. when you came here. And he's like, no, I'm not your monkey. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he says something during that interview. He says, like, you know, you're supposed to be a serious show. The show before me is about, like, puppets making making crank <laughs> phone calls. Because at the time, Crank Yankers was the show that led into The Daily Show. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're right. Um, what, what, and what I mean is not necessarily that they're going about their jobs in similar ways. But I think the right, right. gratification that people get out of this mm-hmm. is a similar gratification to see somebody up there like, yeah, that person's telling the truth because I do feel when I watch John Oliver or John, I felt that way about John Stewart. I mean, I, and I think a lot of people in my generation, like one of the reasons we trusted him wasn't just, it wasn't a Walter Cronkite thing. It wasn't a Tim Russert thing. It was, he was entertaining and he did it in a very entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying like John Oliver is the Tucker Carlson right, right. of the left because he's absolutely not. But he satisfies that itch in 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 the yeah. same. Yeah, and in another way, it's almost fair to say that um, Trump. I mean, it's very different. It's it's very clearly populism, but. Trump sort of, that's the same reason that uh, when he ran during the, his initial candidacy that people kind of liked what he was saying. Because it seemed like, even if what he was saying was false, that he was up there speaking truth to power and was different and in that way was reliable because he was different. Um, now, the the truth there is um, obviously <laughs> that's not so. Well, um, but it, that's that's what makes a, a, a pulpit uh, yeah. likable and popular and is how populism works i guess right so yeah i mean well and 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 the funny thing about trump too and it's it's true of of all of these people that we're talking about is it's almost more about just the way they act and the way they speak mm -hmm. than anything they're actually saying yeah. i mean it's it's yeah. just it's it's a it's it's loud and you know it's 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 brian you brought up the kayfabe video and i mean like look at pro wrestling and and how much of it is just on the surface just about like um, presenting like something that's going to pull people into the drama, Muscular you know, men you get pulled into the drama. That's basically how yes. what it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Trump was part of it, so uh, he's in the WWE yeah, Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, well, yeah. The best part of of that is always is never. I mean, to me, never the wrestling. It's the the theater that yeah. they're doing. It's it's always most interesting to see. I don't know all the famous quotes from from every situation there. Uh, are always the most entertaining to me. Yeah. So, and and Sacred Heart has a lot of WWE connections because we have the, the yeah. Linda McMahon, <laughs> Linda That's McMahon right. Center, and she was a character on WWE. Um, she, I mean, the whole McMahon, he brought his whole family in. <laughs> <laughs> after the montreal screw job but that's probably too much oh oh man that was my era that was when i was watching wrestling was uh brett the hitman Hart was my favorite wrestler too and then he goes like wcw on the stage after yeah yeah, yeah, screws yeah, him yeah, over. yeah yeah i've listened to radio yeah. before it's a heartbreaking moment man <laughs> that was uh um, that was that was a coming coming of age moment for me sorry yeah go on i think this is our final question and i i okay. saved it for last because it might ruin our our friendship um <laughs> oh no ever, I, I i this is a nuclear option and i'm going for it all right oh god he's pressing the npr button. has a, a liberal bias many would argue okay and and conservatives people would argue that yes i, they, I don't would. i don't believe this but people would believe this people have said this um and conservatives have long gone after people pbs and npr for this saying that a, a publicly funded institution should represent the opinions and views of all americans do you see a bias like this and do you think that every tax-paying citizen whether they're whether they be liberal or conservative should see their opinions expressed on public radio and, and public television ah i see why that's a nuclear option um <laughs> i don't i think individual I think individual people have their own biases. Mm -hmm. I think everybody, every reporter has a bias. I have some, uh, you know, everybody has some, um, you know, Mag Magna Chakravarti has some, uh, you know, ev everybody has some, some, uh, because nobody is objective, right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. sees yeah. the world. Yeah. Nobody sees the world through God's eyes. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, yeah, no, uh, individual. And then when we talk about bias, that's, that's what I'm worried about. Uh, I think, I think one reason this happens is that there are cultural, there are uh, one reason that people think that NPR has a, a, a left wing bias is that there are cultural cues, right? So like, if you say, if you speak a certain way, mm-hmm. you could be perceived as, okay, so this is a dumb example, but this is true. I grew up with a Southern accent, mm-hmm. and I had a Southern accent until I was about 18 years old, a pretty thick Southern accent. And um, you might make an assumption about anything from my, you might make an assumption about my politics if you heard me speak with a Southern accent, despite the fact that I think three of the three of the last four presidents we had with a Southern accent were Democrats. Uh, you know, the South is often associated with conservatism. So you might make an assumption about my politics if you heard me with a Southern accent. I think NPR sometimes makes fits into cultural roles mm. that lead to it being assumed that you have a that, that it has a, a, a left wing bias. But I don't think outlets have biases in the same way. I would even say that I don't think Fox News really has a... Well, the difference between Fox News is there's definitely something coming down from the top. I guess I'll say... So, So like... so Rupert um, has an agenda, probably. Right. We know that... And Roger Ailes had an agenda. Mm. You know, we know that the people at the top have agendas. Um, I'm not saying that... I don't, I don't know the people at the top of NPR, but I don't know of them having any agendas. Um, so... so <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll say I'll, I'll say that um, I don't. I, I think individual reporters can have biases, and they need to check those. But what What do you uh, make of, so the, of the second the, part of that question? Because I think that I don't. I think it was President Bush who he put someone either as the head of NPR or placed somebody on NPR that clearly had a conservative bias. And if we're if we're you know saying. Um, NPR and PBS, these are the people's networks, sort of. They're publicly funded. I know it's, you know, it's not all of NPR and PBS's funding that comes from the government. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's why I told Brian that this was the nuclear option. <laughs> oh, geez. Because the answer, I mean, what, it's not whenever even... this comes up, like, a, a senator starts saying, like, oh, NPR is li- being, like, but, a leftist the... pipeline. The answer, the answer always is that... NPR has no direct federal funding. They have a few block grants that are competitive. And then, so, I mean, it's not a but they also, It's not an easy answer. Also doesn't position I mean, you have to explain to people NPR. what the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is, and you have to understand right. how that works. And and you also, yeah. I mean, you have to understand that NPR and NPR stations are different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yes. you know, yeah. and, and PBS and PBS, I mean, you have to understand a lot. I mean, honestly... People should go back to 1967 and Lyndon Johnson and, you know, the Public Broadcasting Act. And and that's you, if you want to understand why we oh, have we public broadcasting. Can you, you can't hear me. Oh, we got you back. There we go. You got me. He's back. Oh, we got back. OK, cool. I mean, really, you should start with the whole history of NPR. Of, of, you should go back to Lyndon Johnson and the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967, you know, and then you can talk about why do we have public broadcasting? Um, I don't. I mean, this is an old journalistic debate. I mean, sometimes, you know, journalists will say like, well, should we, should we, um, what should we do about the 0.1% of scientists who say that global warming, you know, that there's a controversy around global warming, Yeah. you know, can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear uh, you. You're kind of cutting yes. in and out. Yes, okay, cool. Cool. Um, so, uh, 
you know, like, do do we have an obligation to be like to to speak for everybody on the political scale spectrum? I mean, I don't think we have an obligation to speak for uh, um, QAnon people who are. Or, yeah, I don't think we have an obligation to speak for Alex Jones or QAnon supporters or people who are lying. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we have an obligation to hold people's feet un- to the fire. So I think we, like, I think we have an obligation if somebody's lying to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. But the, I, th- and I think it, I think it was Lester Holt who just had a few weeks ago, maybe a month now, where one of the nightly yeah, news things Lester came Holt, on yeah. at the end or at the beginning. It was actually was like, when he received uh, his. I don't have a responsibility to report on fake information. Right. What, what he, was it, he re- Brian? He was receiving some. Um, it was like the Edward R. Murrow Lifetime Achievement Award or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, and then he was like, "I don't. I never actually watched it. I, I was aware of it. I think I sent it to you, but I never watched it myself." <laughs> yes. Um, but right. I, the, the general spirit of it is that we don't have to. Um, you know, if misinformation, it, basically the false corollary between. Let's represent all sides, and um, one side is lying, and one side is telling the truth most of the time. Um, do we have to represent both of those arguments? Um, but I, I, th- I think that the, I, I personally don't agree with the liberal bias part. I don't see that. You know, I don't think that all media networks have to be this one's liberal, this one's conservative. But you know, the question, well, the, yeah, the, the question right. is, but. If could you see NPR hiring um, Rachel Maddow? Obviously, you probably. I mean, I feel like there could be a podcast for Rachel Maddow on WMIC or something like that. But would you have you know um, who's an example of someone who's not you know Sean Hannity on Fox? Like, would you have Megyn Kelly podcast or something? Would that have ever happened? If you watch PBS, I mean, if you watch, you know, PBS NewsHour, they always have David Brooks and Mark Shields, right? Mm-hmm. Or they haven't had Mark Shields lately, they David, David Brooks and somebody else. But uh, David Brooks is sort of seen as being on the right, although mm-hmm. I don't, he was definitely not a Trump supporter, you know, I don't know, but a lot of people assume he's on the right. Um, I think, uh, and and if you if you watch what PBS does with their back and forth, and Mark Shields, is, you know, more more supports is seen as being more on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch what they do, it's sort of what something like Crossfire pretended to do. Yeah, you know, it's like it actually is a back and forth. You know, a, a decent, uh, a, an actual, you know, exchanging of alternate viewpoints. Uh, so. I don't know if they would hire Rachel Maddow. I don't know. I mean, I would hope uh, um, that uh, NPR and public radio um, stations and, uh, you know, and and public media in general would uh, continue to support a variety of viewpoints Mm -hmm. um, while at the same time using good editorial judgment to say there are viewpoints that are not things we want the things there there are viewpoints that have problems that are problematic right yeah. it's it's yeah. there's there's a reasonable limit to to disc to our to our discourse here and we need to draw the line and say no we don't need to have i'll say you know i don't know about rachel maddow so i'm not gonna say that i'll say we don't need to have alex jones yeah you know yeah <laughs> uh Obviously. we don't need to it, 
<laughs> right, you know, but we don't need to air harmful. We don't want to hurt the public. Mm-hmm. We haven't, we, you know, and it's even in the uh, SPJ Code of Ethics. You know, uh, right, right. we have a, we serve the public and we serve them with good quality information and we don't want to hurt them. Yeah. Uh, and, and that should guide our decisions there. Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming on. I re- really appreciate it. Um, I know it's, it's finals week and you probably have a lot of classes and grading and stuff to do. Well, next week's finals. Oh, week. it's nearing uh, finals week. Anyways. Oh yeah. 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 Come on. I don't Brian. even know where I've got, I don't, I don't know what's happening at my own school. All right, so that was this episode of Playing Catch-Up. Um, special thanks once again to Davis Donovan for coming on the show. Special thanks to Everett for always being a gracious and, and, and humble co-host. Um, we'll be back next week with our regularly uh, scheduled programming. Um, in the meantime, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, send it to a friend who might enjoy this. Send it to, I don't know, a public radio reporter who may enjoy our discussion about NPR. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have a great week. Uh, See you in the next one, guys.